enemies of Israel. And so tonight, we're looking at another judge, and this is Deborah. Uh, and so this is a, a woman of Israel, a leader uh, in Israel. There's actually a side character in this uh, section. It's also a woman who's also a hero in the story, and her name is J.L. And uh, she wasn't even an Israelite, but God used her. And so, um, you know, the big picture of Judges is this. The people of Israel did what was right in their own eyes. It's after Joshua and before the kings. And it's in a time of kind of like Saving Private Ryan and the Walking Dead meet in the Bible. And in fact, tonight is very much like the Walking Dead, if you've ever seen that show, in terms of how someone is killed. Uh, We'll get there. Um, But the big issue in the book of Judges is this cycle of the people of Israel fall into sin and idolatry because they follow the Baal worship of the Canaanites. And the Lord said, listen, um, since you have not driven out all the Canaanites in the land, they are going to become a snare to you. You're going to worship their gods. But they're also part of my plan because they're going to test you to see if you're faithful, to see if you really do know the Lord or not. And so this is very apropos to the Christian life. We live in a world where it's a culture that doesn't, you know, in most places doesn't really believe in God. We're, we're, you know, the world, the flesh, and the devil. These are the three big enemies. You ever heard that? The world, the flesh, and the devil. It's not that the world is evil, but the culture that's unbelievingly against God and against Jesus. Okay, so we're in that mix of feeling all of that all the time. And it's a test to us. And God wants us here. He says, I want you in this world. He says, be in the world, not of it. But He wants us in here so that we can reflect His glory to the nations, to the people at the University of Maryland, to our family, to our friends. And... uh, And the grace of God is big enough to meet us with temptation and uh, the struggle. So, Judges is a beautiful book because it very much relates to who we are as well in this this area. So, um, Judges chapter 4, I'm going to just read it tonight. I know we're kind of running behind, uh, but stay with me. It's good stuff. When, uh, sorry, I'm in Esther. Um, Another Here we go. The women. The women. Apparently it's Women's Day or something. I saw on Facebook. I'm not sure what that means, but it's Women's Day today. And I feel like every day is Women's Day. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Heriosheth Hagiah. Sorry, I'm totally mispronouncing that. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of, of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. And she used to sit under the palm of Deborah. I love that. She had her own tree. Um, Between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. 
And she sent and commanded Barak, the son of Abinoham, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing everything wrong, from Cadus Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops. And I will give them him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulon and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak of Zenaim, which is near Kadesh. That's kind of a side note, but that will be important later. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 of, of iron, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Harosheth Hagiam to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord turned Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Harosheth Haggion. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord. Turn aside. Do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk, and gave him a drink, and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg, and took a hammer to her hand, and then she went softly to him, and drove the peg into his temple, until it went down into the ground, while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. Emphasis. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent. And there lay Sisera, dead, with the tent peg in his temple. So on that day God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. This ends a reading of God's holy word. Lord, thanks for this time to uh, consider this amazing story of your deliverance. Be with us as we consider it in Christ's name.
Amen. So I just want to talk about three, three brief things. The need, the hope, and the justice of God. The need, the hope, and the justice of God in this story. And we're going to do some side comment, commentary on Deborah and women in the Bible a little bit as well. Um, but the first thing is this, the need. Because the cycle of sin and bondage continue with the people of Israel. And what we see in this section right away in, cha- in the beginning of chapter 4 is that as soon as Ehud had died, he was the judge with the, le- the left-handed man, right? The people, again, basically did evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 1, And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin. And so, just take note of that. They had all this deliverance. There was like 80 years of prosperity with Ehud. Peace. But the propensity of the heart, and my heart, and your heart, and the heart of Israel is to once again slide into sin and idolatry and the Baal worship that was all around them. And we talked about that last week, the sexual nature of the Baal worship with the temple prostitutes and all that kind of stuff. So this is, this is important because um, what it says is that the people's hearts were not with the Lord. And when there was a leader and a judge in control, they were like, okay, we're going we're gonna to stay with it, right? But as soon as the judge is gone... They just like, boom, it's, it, it's like if you're babysitting kids and, you know, you leave them for a little while and, uh, they're, you know, they just, they start fighting and doing all kinds of crazy stuff, crayons on the wall, whatever, okay? So, this is our human nature, right? You don't have to teach people to do evil. I mean, a little kid will grow up, right? And they'll pet the dog. And then when you turn your back, they'll try to like poke the dog's eyes out or something. I mean, they'll just, you don't have to teach people evil, right? We do it naturally. We want to do, we want to do evil. You never have to teach people to do evil. That's like a, that's an apologetic for why the Bible is true. Because God says we're sinful. And out of our sin comes the sinful actions. And so Israel. They go into bondage again. Jeremiah 17 says, The heart of man is desperately wicked and without, without cure. Who, who can know it? That's a great statement. The heart, the heart of man is desperately wicked. This is who we are. Romans. There's no one who does good. No, not one. And, and Paul's using that from the Psalms. Uh, for all sin, falling short of God's glory. That like Our propensity is to do what's natural to us. Israel is seeing that that's what their propensity is. And uh, they don't have the Holy Spirit at this time. And so they quickly run into their idolatry. And just like Adam and Eve in the garden, they want to be their own gods. But the thing is, this is the same thing that we do. And so what is it, it's interesting here. It says that God sold them into the hand of Jabin. So they, they, they go into their sin, but then it says that God actually brought this about in His sovereign plan. This is interesting. God does not call sin. He's not the author of evil. But He uses our sinfulness in a way to discipline us. He sells them into the Jabin, and they go into this bondage, and it's really bad. And Jabin is really, really cruel. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about Sisera here in a second. But 
there's being sold. So God, God's hand is on Israel to sell them. But it's not to leave them there. It's to discipline them, to wake them up to their sin so that they would cry out and repent. And it's the same thing with us. That if you are God's child, if He knows you, if, he, if you uh, believe in Him, if you believe in, in Christ, that you may go through some sinful struggles, but the true Christian is going to repent. He's going to like, God's going to bring you out of that so that you learn your lesson and so you seek His face and He sanctifies you more and more. We believe David, you know, the whole issue with like Bathsheba and the adultery and the murder. We believe he was a believer before that. He went into deep sin and God disciplined him harshly for that. But God brought him out of it and he repents. We got all the Psalms to, 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 that show us that repentance. Um, but there's a real bondage that's going on here. And so General Sisera uh, was known as just a, a really cruel person. Actually, um, the one commentary I was reading, he was known as a rapist and sex a sex slave. Uh, like he would he would capture women. In fact, in in Judges five, the next chapter, it talks about um, how the Lord or how Sisera, his mother, was waiting for him. Actually, I'm going to read you this section, and so it's like a it's a poem, right? And he's already died by jail. And then it says like the, his mother was waiting for him. And he, she says this. This is like at the end. He says, have they not found and divided the spoil? This is talking about Sisera. A womb or two for every man. A womb or two for every man. So he's talking about Sisera's army. They would, they would plunder and pillage and rape and take women. This is like what they did. This is like the kind of person that Cicero was and Canaan. So you got to understand this is like some serious cruelty that's going on and God's going to deal with this injustice. Um, but this is the bondage that Israel is probably going through. 20 years in bondage to Canaan. 20 years of maybe um, all of these things going on here. Uh, and the people cried out to the Lord for help. For he had 900 chariots of iron and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. And so what do we take away? This is point one. Um, you know, one thing is we need to see that this is our hearts. Our hearts seek ourselves. It brings us into bondage. It brings us into uh, oppression uh, by our sin and by our actions. And the only hope we have is outside of ourselves with the gospel and with Jesus. And so Israel's beginning to cry out. They're oppressed. And they begin to cry out to the Lord. And so God's grace is discipline for His people. He brings us down in order to get our attention so that it wakes us up to the fact that we really are bigger sinners than we thought. And we really need Jesus more than we thought. The people cry out. And so the second thing is the, the hope. The hope. God raises up deliverers. And that's really what the whole book of Judges is. God, the people go through these seven cycles of sin, bondage, cruelty, oppression. And then it gets their attention and they wake up and they say, I need, I need the Lord. 
And God hears the cry because He remembers His covenant. And He sends these judges. He sends these people. And so, we actually have three people that God sends. Deborah, Barak, and Jael. And so, we're going to talk about Deborah, this godly woman that the Lord raised up during the time of the judges. And what we see is in the Old Testament, there's like these three offices, prophet, priest, and king. And she is exercising two of those, prophet and kingly offices in Judges. And so, in verse 4, you'll see Israel was coming to her for judgment. She has her own palm tree, like I said, the tree, the palm of Deborah. But this is amazing. She is a teacher. She's a prophet. She's a government leader. She's basically like a, uh, a Supreme Court justice for Israel. And people are coming to her from all over the place and they're having their decisions and they're counseling with her and she is telling them what to do and what is right and what is true. And so we see this um, prophetic role of her following God's word. In fact, in verse 6, um, she goes to Barak, her commander, the general of the army, and says, listen, has not the Lord... The God of Israel commanded you, go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army. And so what we have here is that uh, she's familiar with God's word. She's in tune with God. She's faithful to God. And she's proclaiming God's word to Barak, uh, the general. It's a picture of faith. Uh, it's a picture of, of courage as well when Barak's kind of like saying, hey, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to do that unless you go with me. This is kind of an interesting thing. Um, he's, he's basically, from what I gather from the commentaries, he's basically saying that this message from the Lord was like a suicide mission. The Lord wants to, him to go up on top of the mountain Draw the enemy out who has 900 chariots. They have 10,000 men. But the chariots are like cruise missiles and the men in the cavalry have BB guns. Okay, seriously. What you got here is this is suicidal. This is Pickett's Charge. Anybody been up to Gettysburg? Pickett's Charge. Okay, a mile in exposed land and they have chariots and they're coming after us and they're just going to like mow us down. And so Barak is saying, there's no way I'm going to do this. And then he basically puts the onus on her and says, I'm only going to do this if you risk too and go with me. So you see, behind every good man is a better woman. Um, so anyway, so, 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 here, so she does it, man. She, she goes with him. So there's just this picture. There's, there is a contrast here, it seems to me, between the faithfulness of Deborah and, to some extent, the cowardness of Barak uh, and not being assured. In fact, even when they're on the battlefield, she's like, she's commanding him, now go, it's time, go, charge. So, she has this kingly function of commanding, this kingly function of administering, this kingly function of being a... Uh, you know, an administrator of, of God's word and telling him what to do. Um, so I want to take a side note right now on women in ministry, because um, that's an important question to ask. 
when you come to a passage like this. What should we conclude about this, or what is the role of? And this this is not we we, we don't have enough time to go into this, but I just want to give a couple little brief vignettes, and then you can beat me up and talk to me afterwards. Okay, first, um, there's lots and lots of strong women in the Bible. Okay, in fact, when the, in 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 Genesis when it says a helper, um, I will make a helper for him. That is not like, oh, daddy's little helper, like God is making a woman to be kind of a little helper for Adam. The same description is used of the Lord as the helper of Israel. Okay, so this is not like a cowering aside, you know, person to Adam. It's not like a Batman and Robin type thing, like Robin's like sidekick, okay, for Batman. God is the helper and strength of Israel. And so, all through the scriptures, we see strong women. We, we see Deborah here. Uh, we're going to see Ruth later. Um, Rahab the prostitute, who basically hid the spies. She's in the line of Jesus. Um, we have women all through the ministry of Jesus that are actually supporting him and going alongside him. Mary Magdalene, Mary, his mother, um, they, they're the ones that come to the tomb for resurrection. And in fact, during the first century, a woman's testimony in court was not allowed. It was not seen as viable. So biblically, what you have is this. Here's the first two people that see Jesus' resurrection and give witness to it. They're women. Okay? So you're, you're seeing this high. You, you have Paul with Priscilla. Priscilla and Aquila, remember? They were like basically discipling the Apostle Paul. Um, later on in, in Romans 16, you have Phoebe. I mean, there's lots of pictures of women, okay, in the Scriptures. And so we can never forget that. Now, what about the issue of women teaching in the Scriptures in terms of, like, in the New Testament, we have verses like, I do not permit a woman to speak in the church, it says in Timothy. Okay, So this is a very specific um, uh, prescription that Paul is making for a very specific issue within the church. Here's the Old Testament, here's the Old Testament stream of it. In the Old Testament, you have prophet, priest, and king. These are the three offices. Now it's interesting in this story that you have Deborah doing the prophetic office, and the kingly office. But you do not have her doing the priestly office. The priestly office was for the Levites and the tribe of Aaron. And that actually becomes the stream for the New Testament idea that the teaching elder is just to be a male. Okay? Not saying that women can't teach and function within the context of that. <clears throat> But for the very narrow, specific role of like the teaching elder, the New Testament says it's just for men. Okay. Now, there's lots of other things in terms of... Because we, we see Deborah prophesying. It's not saying that women can't teach Sunday school. They can't teach in a group of mixed uh, sexes and that sort of thing. It's not saying that. But it's saying in the very specific function of the word and sacrament ministry for preaching that that should be a man. That's what the Timothy section is talking about. Now, um, with that, I wanted to say a couple other things. Um, if I can remember where I was going. 
Um, so it's drawn, number one, it's drawn from this idea of the Aaronic priesthood, the Levites were to be man. Okay, now, <clears throat> man, there's something else I was going to mention here, and I'm forgetting my arguments. Um, Oh, the issue of, and this is our culture, you know, what's the big thing in our culture right now? Gender identity, right? Gender identity. I mean, you can't walk around the University of Maryland, right, without thinking about these issues. Now, scripturally speaking, here's what we would say that gender is not something you construct yourself. But it is God-ordained onto you. Now, we believe in sin and that sin has affected everything. So people can be very confused about their gender. People can have brokenness sexually. All of us do. And we can have brokenness in our gender. But the Bible would always say that the male and the woman are both made in the image of God, both equal, equal citizens with God in their standing. But there are different roles within that that the Bible states. Okay, so equal with God, image of God, but yet not, but the roles have some differences in terms of what they do. Okay, so this, and we can unpack that and I can talk to you more about that, but I just wanted to briefly talk about that because when we look at Deborah and a narrative of the Old Testament, a lot of people say, well, she was a, she was a prophet, so therefore, can women, pre- should women be preachers in the church? And the, the, the rule is always that when you have a narrative in the Old Testament, a, narr- a historical narrative, it's, you have to be very careful to just say that's prescriptive for everything in the New Testament. You have to go to New Testament passages as well and say, well, what do they specifically teach according to that? So you never want to just take all the things in the narrative and say that's what the church should do for all time. You have to, you have to look at that but you also have to weight it with the other things. Um, but the big thing I wanted to say is, this is lifting up women. And this is, and in a lot of circles, I think the church hasn't done that as much. I want to put a plug for the RUF internship right now for women. RUF internship is a place where you can be developed theologically. You can go to seminary. You can take seminary classes. There's, there's women on the RUF, and they are, they are meeting. You, you think we need women in ministry counseling college girls. Like, we really need that. And that's what RUF provides. Like, this is a way you can make a living for like 20 or 30 years if you want to. Seriously, you can go to seminary, be theologically trained, be trained in counseling, and you can come on this campus, and you can really make an impact for the gospel. And you can, you can develop your theological mind, and you can help people. So, I just want to make that plug. In a lot of churches, you can't do as much of that. But in an RUF ministry, you can. Um, because we're not, we're, we're a ministry of the church, but we're not, you know, we're different, right? We're not meeting on Sunday, and we're not having sacraments, okay? Um, okay, I know I'm like going way over. Uh, Okay, a couple other things. Barak. So we have so we have Deborah just showing this incredible character of God. 
and she is delivering. And then we have Barak as well. And in, in fact, you know, I don't want to push Barak down because in Hebrews it lifts Barak up. It says that uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, the great chapter of faith, it says, And what more shall we say? Uh, for time would uh, fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah of David, Samuel and the prophets, and through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions. So the Hebrew writer is lifting up Barak, even though it seems like he doesn't have much faith, but he does. He goes up there and he does it. He is the one leading the charge down the mountain into the 900 chariots. And so he is, he is displaying faith. And guess what? As he does this, God does an amazing thing. In the middle of the summer, he brings an incredible storm, rainstorm. And in chapter 5, we don't have time, but it talks about how the chariots get bogged down in the mud. Okay, so from the outside, without rain, it's looking like there is no way. Well, guess what? On that summer day, when it looked like there was going to be no rain, God sent this huge storm. Barak, B-R-K, Hebrew, means lightning. So he comes down there with his men charging down the mountain, and God is with him, and they destroy Jabin and Sisera and the army. And so it was a faithful thing. So, I don't, so God is using all kinds of people here. He's using... Uh, Deborah, at, in this amazing way in her administration. Okay, he's using Barak. And then he's using Jael, this little woman, well, we don't know if she's a little woman, uh, who, who basically uh, is a Kenite, and that's not even an Israelite. And God, for some reason in this narrative, it says they moved from the south up north, in verse 11. And they had they had a uh, an alliance with Sisera and Jabin, and so when Sisera is escaping, he's thinking, "Oh, Jael the Kenite, the Kenites, they're friends with us. They can hide us. I can get out of here alive, right?" Well, something by God's hand. Maybe it was because he oppressed women. Maybe it was because of maybe people in her family had been raped. I don't know what it was. Doesn't say. We know. That's who Sisera was. So she's like beautiful. It's just like Ehud. It's like a secret message. Like, yeah, it's like she's deceptive. You know, come on in. I'll give you some. I'll give you some. He asks for water. She gives him milk. And then women were known as those who set up the tents. She was good with the tent peg and with the mallet. Okay. And so here he is sleeping under the. And she comes up and just like the walking dead right in the temple. With a knife, and this man is dead. He is slain on the ground, never to wake again until the judgment. And so, the last thing is so, the beauty is this is that God used all kinds of things to bring about deliverance for his people. He uses Deborah, he uses Barak, he uses Jael. <laughs> if you think your life, okay, and the story of your life, he used all kinds of people. Maybe to share about Jesus with you, to help you out, to get you through issues. I mean, this is the God that we serve is in control. And He uses all kinds of people to bring deliverance. Um, ultimately, all of these deliverance deliverance people are a small foreshadow of the ultimate deliverer, the Lord Jesus. Who's going to come 
and who already took a tent peg through the head of Satan. Okay, he crushed Satan's head. Okay, remember uh, Genesis 3, he's going to crush the head of the serpent. That was the promise. So now you have somebody's head who was kind of like a Satan to Israel head being crushed. So you got these all these like typology things. There's even a country song in here somewhere. I know it in chapter five. If you guys want to look at that, um, we're not going to we're not going to do it. But the last thing is this: is God? Why does God do this? Why does He bring down Sisera? Because God is God of justice, and these people were cruel and they were evil and they were oppressing and raping. And God said, enough is enough. And he brings Barak and his army. But ultimately, it's the Lord who is the victor in this. Because Deborah said to to Barak, you're not going to get the glory for this victory. You know, it's going to be this Kenite who you don't even know. She's going to actually get the glory. But ultimately, it's the God God that gets the glory. Um, And so, and this is what we have. That God is interested in justice. And he is a God of justice, and he's going to bring peace. He's going to bring ultimate shalom uh, on the earth. And so, um, you know, as, you, as we think about the issues in our world, um, you know, God wants Christians involved in issues of justice and mercy. Um, he says in Micah 6.8, He's shown you, O man, what is good, what the Lord requires you, but to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. And so, you know, in a, in a few weeks in this room, during our RUF night, we're giving up our room and we're supporting the Together for Justice night that's going to happen in here. Okay? And there's gonna be, they're going to be talking about sex trafficking in the world and all the Christian groups are going to meet right here in our room and uh, there's going to be a speaker and they're going to be talking about these issues. Because Christians need to be involved in the brokenness of our world and being redemptive agents in them. And so that'll be a way to apply. Maybe some of you are interested in that kind of thing. That might be something you can look forward to. International Justice Mission is the headquarters is in uh, D.C. And uh, they do stuff all the time. Um, you know, and that, I think there's going to be somebody from IJM maybe coming here to speak. Um, and so that's April 5th in here. The uh, Wednesday, April 5th. So think about that. Um, come and if you know people in your life that are that that have a heart for these kind of things, like tell them to come to this. With that said, we're closing. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for Deborah and JL, these two women who are heroes, and Barak, his faith. Lord, uh, let us be people uh, looking to you. Thank you that you are our ultimate deliverer and you set us free to live a life of faith and deliverance uh, for others. And so we, we give you praise tonight. In Christ's name, amen. We're going to stand, grab hands, sing doxology. Circle up! Circle up! I'm here for it. Huh? I'm here for it. here. Come on, there. Oh, where's Kathleen? Shoot. Kathleen is not here. Where is she? I need, I need my auto. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. 
thing is, Friday night, we're doing a trivia, trivia movie night in the Oakland basement. Seven o'clock. Trivia, trivia, and movie. Oakland. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. He says. Yeah, yeah, good, good. He says. Yeah, okay.